The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save. And save and win. Are you working? What kind of work do you do? This is the Punt and Pass Podcast. Touchdown, baby! Now, here are your hosts, two-time All-American punter Drew Butler. Mark Rick would like Drew Butler to hit it a mile in the air. And he did and the SEC's career leader in touchdown passes and completions, Aaron Murray. Touchdown! In stride as he crosses the goal line. Put it right on his hip. What a throw. Now with the latest from around the SEC and the world of college football, it's the Punt and Pass Podcast. Get to the house! Sideline! Pylon! Touchdown! And the dogs are on the board first. Victory is mine. Yeah, surprisingly, I've been lame. Welcome into the Punt and Pass Podcast. I'm your host, Drew Butler, usually joined by my co-host, Aaron Murray, but I am doing this solo dolo today. Murray's got to get ready for the XFL, so he is training and uh, working out and doing whatever he needs to do to become the starting quarterback for your Tampa Bay Vipers, let's dive right into it. Recap what happened this past weekend. Week 8 of college football is in the books. Saw a couple of upsets, saw a couple of great games, and some notable injuries that happened on Saturday night that could shake up a big-time matchup in the next coming weeks. But let's get right into it, and let's discuss exactly what happened on this episode of the Punt and Pass podcast. Please Follow us on social media at Punt and Pass on Twitter and Instagram. I am at Drew Butler 13, and Aaron is at Aaron Murray 11. So, what happened on Friday night? Everybody was looking to that Big Ten matchup, Ohio State traveling to Evanston, Illinois to take on Northwestern. Some said it could be a sleepy spot for Ohio State, a Friday night game. Evanston, Illinois, not exactly the most hype environment. In college football, a little bit taller grass. Could weather play a factor? Well, none of it did. Ohio State rolled 52-3. to Justin Fields continuing his dominance of the 2019 season. I tell you what, this kid is on an absolute roll. What he has been able to do as a first-year starting quarterback, especially in a new offensive system under Ryan Day at Ohio State, has been nothing short of amazing. He certainly looks to be poised for a seat at the Heisman Trophy ceremony in December. Others likely Joe Burrow, Jalen Hurts, and Tua Tungavailoa if he stays healthy. Justin Fields was 18 to 23 for 194 yards, nothing crazy through the year, and four touchdowns. I think he ran one in as well. No, he did not run one in as well, but Ohio State had 480 total yards, 22 first downs, again, 52 points, and that was good enough for them to jump Clemson in the AP Top 25 heading into Week 9. That's right, Clemson continues to win games and move back in the rankings. Ohio State now ranked number 3 right behind Alabama and LSU. It sets up what would have been a gigantic matchup for this upcoming weekend, but Wisconsin lost 
this past weekend to unranked Illinois. I will touch on that game in just a bit. But Ohio State continuing to be the class of the Big Ten. Justin Fields kind of having Georgia fans scratch their heads a little bit, especially with how Georgia's offense has been playing of late. We will touch on that in just a bit as well. But I thought we should have started there. A little Friday night action. Get that out of the way. Ohio State looking poised and looking ready for a college football playoff appearance later on this season. All right, I want to jump to what happened on Saturday night. It's the third Saturday of October. That always means Alabama against Tennessee. Alabama, a huge 35-point favorite in this game at home, primetime, 9 p.m. kickoff. My God, that was so late, and everybody expected Alabama to a tongue of Iloa, that core of wide receivers to just go off against Tennessee and the big orange. But what happened? Wow, they got off to a pretty slow start. Some turnovers early. You know, that late game against an inferior opponent sometimes can cause football teams to kind of overlook what's happening on the field, not maybe be as locked in as they should have been. They kind of looked pedestrian at times, not getting first downs, couldn't really establish the run game. Tennessee playing inspired football. Jeremy Pruitt, obviously the former defensive coordinator at Tennessee, excuse me, at Alabama, now the head coach at Tennessee, and he had those guys playing. They were getting after Tua Tungavailoa. They were applying pressure in the pocket. Brian Maurer, Tennessee's quarterback, took a brutal hit. And it wasn't even really the hit he took from the the defender. I think it was um, Lee, the linebacker from Alabama. But Lee threw him back, and he hit his head on his offensive lineman's knee and pretty much got knocked out. Concussion protocol out of the game, and in comes Jarrett Garantano. So, Garantano's the starting quarterback, or gets becomes the quarterback, excuse me, not the starter, becomes the quarterback for Tennessee. And things take an interesting turn because Tua Tungavailoa gets pressured in the pocket, gets sacked, and when he goes on the ground, usually there's a pretty good chance he's going to head to the sideline to get checked out. Well, he stays down. Looking at his ankle, looking at his knee maybe, weren't quite sure if you were watching it on TV. Heads into the tent on the sideline. You're going on Twitter. I'm on social media looking to see what exactly is happening. Any updates? Because I wasn't necessarily getting it from the crew on TV, which was a bit disappointing. But then videos started circulating of Tua getting in an ambulance and heading to the local hospital to get checked out for a possible knee or lower leg injury. And yes, that's exactly what happened. He has a sprained ankle. He was out of the game for the remainder of the contest, and Mac Jones became the quarterback for Alabama. And when I say things took a turn, I mean Alabama turned into a JV football team instantly. I was shocked at what I was seeing, stuff that you just do not see Alabama do, dropping wide open passes that would have been good for 20-plus yards and first downs. Mac Jones overthrowing receivers, which you might have expected. The guy hadn't been in the game or involved all day, and coming off the bench is pretty tough when you're throwing it to a bunch of wide-open receivers, I guess. I mean, I really can't understand that. Alabama, three and outs. A new punter was in the game. I don't know if you saw that, but I had to shout out the new punter. He might have been my MVP. But Tennessee, Tennessee was driving and making this game interesting. There was a point in the game Right when Tennessee was down 28 to 13, and they started to drive. 
Okay, there was a chance that Tennessee could make this a one-score game with Mac Jones at quarterback for Alabama. And there wasn't, I would say there was not much confidence in the stadium that was palpable through the TV screen. The fans were not exactly thrilled with how Mac Jones was playing. The fans were not exactly thrilled with Tennessee driving down, especially with Jared Garantano at quarterback. And there was a bit of a goal line stand happening which would have made this a one-score game. And I think a very interesting final 10, eight minutes of this matchup. Well, it's fourth and goal. And Jarrett Garantano decides to go rogue and tries for a quarterback sneak. And it's clear that he went rogue because when you watch the replay, the overhead replay of this fourth and goal situation, the left guard pulls, excuse me, I think the right guard pulled. They had, Tennessee had their goal line running back in the game, and there was a wide open hole for him to run the ball if Garantano would have followed the play call, handed it off, and it would have been 28 to 20 with seven minutes and 20 seconds left. In the game, Tennessee had all three timeouts remaining. This would have been a huge order for Mac Jones to come in and say, get us a couple of first downs so we can put this game out of reach. But instead, Garantano tries to leap over and quarterback sneak, and you can see the running back who's getting ready for his time to shine stops dead in his tracks because he's going, what the hell is going on? What is going on? What did Jared Garantano just do? He fumbled the ball and Trayvon Diggs scooped it in the end zone, ran it 100 yards the other way, and the game was over. The game was over. Garantano, I don't know what he was thinking, and neither did head coach Jeremy Pruitt. When Garantano was walking over to the sideline, Pruitt was absolutely laying into him and kind of tugged at his face mask. You could hear him or see him say, what the hell are you doing? Chris Winkie, the quarterback coach, was laying into him as well. And you know what? I was totally fine with it. I was shocked when I saw what Jared Garantano did. Selfishly, I would say, because if you just do what your coach wanted you to do and call the play that was called in the huddle, it ain't your fault. It is never your fault for following your coach's orders. And I know Jeremy Pruitt gets a very, very hard time for his antics, for his personality as the head coach slash CEO of Tennessee football. And we've given him a really hard time on this very podcast. But in this specific situation, you're talking about a team that has been embattled all season long. Horrible start to the season, losing to Georgia State, losing to BYU, getting schlacked by Florida, getting schlacked by Georgia. This was Tennessee's chance to be competitive against the number one team in the nation. They're one of their biggest rivals all season long. Jeremy Pruitt going up against Nick Saban. To make this a one-score game with Alabama's backup quarterback playing with seven minutes left, that is the kind of stuff that a team can hang its hat on for an entire rest of the season. That is the kind of game, the kind of performance that can give Jeremy Pruitt grace with the alumni, with the boosters, with the athletic association for the better part of a year. And when one of your players is insubordinate and does not listen to your play call and goes rogue and proves to be selfish, 
I think Pruitt acted well within his means to lay into Garantano, to tug at his face mask, to ask him, what the hell are you doing? What are you thinking? What gave you the reason to believe that you could keep that ball and not give it to our goal line running back for the play call that we had called that would have been successful. I don't understand it. And I was talking to a buddy on Sunday morning when I'm looking at social media and seeing all the media members talking about how Jeremy Pruitt should not have done that, how he's not a good coach, how that is unacceptable, how that should never happen. You should never undress a player like that. You should never lay your hands on a player, right? Okay, did he lay his hands on Garantano? Yes, he tugged at his face mask. Did he throw his ass to the ground? No, but he probably wanted to, all right? And I'm going to bring in a comparison that I thought was legitimate and I got a lot of blowback on Twitter at Drew Butler 13, but you know what? It's okay with me because I think the conversation can be had. The media members who are ripping Jeremy Pruitt for laying in to his quarterback, Jared Garantano and tugging at his face mask are the same media members that are saying college athletes should get paid. College football players should be treated as employees X, Y, Z. All right. Well, if you're an employee in corporate America, If you're an employee for any company and you blatantly disobey your boss's orders, guess what's happening? You are getting fired. There is no ifs, ands, or buts about it. If you do that in a critical situation, you're probably going to get fired, right? Will your boss lay your hands on you? No, but you're going to be out of a job. And that's the difference in football. You are being coached. Football is different from corporate America, but when I keep hearing that Players should be paid. Players should be treated as employees. Well, then you're bringing in the exact same thing, right? Would you rather Garantano be coached in that situation? Would you rather Garantano be talked to by Jeremy Pruitt? Sure, a little tug of the face mask would say, man, what the hell are you doing? What exactly are you thinking? We have worked on this for weeks and weeks and weeks, and you're just going to be selfish and insubordinate and try to do this on your own. You're not going to trust your coaches, Sure, he got taken out of the game, as he should have been, but in corporate America, you would be fired, you would not be coached, and you would be on your way to finding another job. I was getting blowback on Twitter. This is a gross generalization. You have no idea what you're talking about. Nobody should ever touch their employee. No boss would ever tug at somebody's shirt. No, they wouldn't, but again, you'd be out of a job, right? You would be out of a job, and I think that's the difference in football. Right, You get coached. You guys have a different – players and coaches have a much different relationship than a boss or an employer. They just do. You're around each other way, way more. If you think I'm wrong, let me know on Twitter. But I really do believe there is something to be said for how Garantano and Pruitt's reaction um, situation after the fumble that lost the game for Tennessee, 100% lost the game for Tennessee, was – seen in the media look this is a coach and a player again a coach and a player not a boss or an employer if it was a boss or employer garantano would be out of a job simple as that would be out of a job so that's just my two cents on it alabama beat tennessee 35 13 that was the last point scored in the game that 100 yard touchdown return alabama now We'll play Arkansas before a bye week and match up against LSU November 9th. That's going to be a huge game. Tua Tungvaloa supposedly out two weeks. I don't think they'll need him against Arkansas. Then he gets a bye week. Hopefully he's healthy and ready to roll for that LSU 
game. LSU continued to dominate. They went to Starkville, beat Mississippi State 36-13. to Joe Burrow, another unbelievable stat line. Four touchdowns. I think he was like 24-26. Let me pull it up right here. It was just impressive, as it has been week in and week out. It was, He was 25-32 for 327 yards and four touchdowns. 36-13, LSU routes Mississippi State to continue their perfect season. Who do they play next week before their bye week to match up against Alabama? They take on Auburn, number nine Auburn, heads to Baton Rouge against number two LSU. That's one of the better games of week nine. How about Wisconsin? Wisconsin loses to unranked Illinois as a 30-point favorite, 24-23. to The story here, much like what the story was when Georgia lost to South Carolina, three turnovers and an extremely costly turnover at the end of the game. It was third down. Jack Cohn was just trying to dump it off right into the flat, really not into the flat, kind of like a quick out to get a first down and ice the game. Illinois uh, defensive back made a fantastic play, picked the ball off, and uh, set up a game-winning field goal for the fighting Illini. Wisconsin had a 98% chance win probability with 7 minutes and 28 seconds left in the game. But when you turn the ball over and you lose the turnover ratio, you give yourself a much harder task of winning a football game no matter who the opponent is. Yes, Illinois was a 30-point underdog, but I also want to point to what could be seen as a turnover, but what most might overlook Late in the third quarter, Wisconsin's kicker missed a 37-yard field goal. Think about that as a turnover on downs. Wisconsin gives up the ball, no points on the board. Illinois turns around and continues to keep the game close. That would count as a turnover as well. That'd be four turnovers for Wisconsin if you count the missed 37-yard field goal. That would have ended up winning the game. I know that's much easier said than done, and hindsight is 20-20. But Wisconsin might have gotten caught in a tough spot there with a huge game against Ohio State coming up this weekend. Ohio State certainly didn't get caught in a tough spot last weekend, so you can kind of throw that excuse out the window. I was pumping up Wisconsin all last week on the podcast, on our show on Monday night, saying I thought that they were one of the best teams in the nation because of their defense, because of their run game, and the Drew Butler mush was in full effect. So the Badgers go down 24-23, still ranked number 13. They head to Columbus this weekend to take on number three, Ohio State. Could they throw a wrench into the Big Ten? Possibly. They're going to need to if they want any chance of making it into the college football playoff. All right. Florida beat South Carolina 38-27. If you're in the Atlanta area, if you're in the southeast, the weather was horrible on Saturday. My wife and I were talking, saying we were ready for a little bit cooler, maybe even gloomy fall weather, just not on a game day. Come on now. That was no fun. If you were at the game, if you were trying to watch football, that was a bit tough. But everybody had to deal with it, and it was pouring in Columbia a close a close first half, 10-10 at half. Then it opened up in the second half. Florida beat South Carolina 38-27. to I thought that this game was going to come down to the wire. South Carolina playing inspired football, especially after that big victory against Georgia last weekend. I was thinking that they could have been in a spot to upset Florida for their second upset in as many weeks. But it just didn't happen. And the referees, look, the referees are just awful every single week. I've been telling you this since 2017, 
and they just prove themselves week in and week out. Will Muschamp, God bless him, he is spiteful of the referees, to put it nicely, and his post-game press conferences are just amazing because you know he wants to say so much about them, but he can't because he doesn't want to lose money. Kyle Trask had a pretty decent day, 21 of 33, 200 yards, four touchdowns, one interception. Helensky didn't do as much as he needed to to win the game. He was 17 of 35, 170 yards, and a touchdown. South Carolina, they, they looked good. Florida was able to bounce back. Um, and Florida was just getting guys in space and letting them work. They have a bye week this week, and it sets up a big-time, a big-time cocktail party in Jacksonville just after Halloween. So Florida, 6-1, and 7-1, and one, excuse me, 4-1 and one in the conference. They are ranked number 7 now, I think. Is that right? I think they're ranked number 7. I'm going to pull it up for you right here. And it sets up a top 10 matchup in Jacksonville. We have not had a top 10 matchup in quite some time between Florida and Georgia. Florida is number seven. Georgia is number 10 in the AP top 25 poll. Speaking of Georgia, they beat Kentucky 21 to nothing on homecoming in Athens. It was a 6 p.m. kickoff. I was there. My dad got recognized into the circle of honor for the University of Georgia. It was a fun day. We had the whole family up there. We battled the elements And we also battled what was a very boring first half. 0-0 between two SEC teams. And yes, the weather was awful. I don't know if it came across on TV if you weren't at the game. It did not stop raining the entire time. It was windy. The the flags, excuse me, um, in the east end zone were moving. So the wind was up there. It was pouring down rain. The entire game. I could not think of a game that I played like that in those conditions because it was cooler, it was wet, it was windy. We played Arizona State in 2009. It was a complete downpour, but again, that was earlier in the season in September, so it was pretty warm outside. Um, I remember 2008 against Georgia Tech. That was cold and wet and windy just after Thanksgiving, but not quite as wet as what those guys had to deal with this past weekend. Georgia opens it up in the second half, though. Kentucky did not have a passing yard until I think with two minutes left in the fourth quarter, and they got on the board with a couple of passing yards. Georgia wins 21 to nothing. It was 0-0 at halftime. I think I saw that the last SEC game that was scoreless at halftime was the 9-6 LSU-Alabama game, in quotations, game of the century, I want to say. I saw that statistic. These two teams did not qualify, Georgia and Kentucky, for the game of the century, but... Georgia 6-1, and one, and they win the game, and the defense played great, and the storyline is the Georgia offense. What is going on with the Georgia offense? It's predictable. It's unimaginative. The fans get extremely frustrated, and I think the worst part is this. It seems like the players have lost belief in themselves and in the offensive system as well. When you watch these guys, right, Georgia's supposed to have the best offensive line in America. Georgia is supposed to have a great quarterback who knows what to do at the line of scrimmage, who can audible you into the right play, and who will make the right play with the football when necessary. Georgia is supposed to have the most, if not one of the most, dominant running back cores in the entire nation. And you just don't see it translating into the field of play on Saturdays. And yes, 
it's frustrating. Everybody boos when Georgia goes run, run, pass, fourth down punt. Everybody boos when they go pass, 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 a couple incompletions, fourth down punt. It's a no-win situation right now. What could happen to make this more interesting? I mean, what do fans want? Do you want flea flickers? Do you want reverses? Do you want to chuck it downfield and try to get explosive plays? Georgia has not had the explosive plays that they need, but I think they just need to find confidence within the huddle. I think they need to find their swagger. They better find their swagger before they play Florida in the cocktail party in two weeks. That is going to be a must because you have to go down to Jacksonville with the confidence to know you can move the ball and put points on the board. Todd Grantham's defense is going to come after Jake Fromm. They're going to come after this offensive line and apply pressure, and they are going to play press man coverage against Georgia's wide receivers who need to have their own segment meeting and say, guys, we need to pick this up. The receivers need to be the catalyst for Georgia's offensive spark into the second half of 2019. I firmly believe that. Aaron has talked ad nauseum about the lack of tight end play, the lack of tight end um, integration in Georgia's offense, and I agree with that. Look, you've got to keep teams honest and move the ball, work the ball into the middle of the field, keep linebackers sitting back, make sure that people know that you can use that tight end in the run game, but also in the pass game. I think, though, the wide receivers, look, guys, We're going into week nine. The Florida game is going to be week 10. They need to say we've done this long enough and we need to provide Jake Fromm with the confidence and the ability to push the ball downfield and win those one-on-one battles against man coverage. I think that is big time. If there's one guy who has swag on this offense, it's DeAndre Swift. I really do believe that. Does he get the carries? Does he get the 30 carries a game to kind of be that Zeke Elliott type presence in the backfield no but that's not how Georgia's really built right now they've got plenty of other options what are they going to do in this bye week to really figure out how to get aggressive and creative with the offense I don't know but I think it's going to be a collaborative effort I think James Coley is going to have to sit down with Fromm, with Swift, with the receivers and say, guys, let's look over this playbook let's make sure that we set ourselves up for the most success As a Georgia alumni, as a Georgia fan, the one thing that gives me confidence heading into this Florida game, which is going to be for the SEC East, there's no doubt about it. It will be for the SEC East. It's the history between Kirby Smart and Dan Mullen. I've said it on this podcast the past two years, right? When Aaron famously picked Mississippi State to beat Georgia in 2017, when Mississippi State was a top five team and Georgia was off to a pretty decent start, I said, Aaron, hold on, man. Look back at what Kirby Smart was able to do to Dan Mullen when Kirby was the defensive coordinator at Alabama and Dan Mullen was the head coach at Mississippi State. Never really a close contest. I think there was one year where it was sort of close when Mississippi State had Dak Prescott and they were ranked number two in the nation or whatever it was. Still, they won. Never really close. Mississippi State's offense has never really got what they should have, especially when they were expected to, against Alabama's defense and Kirby Smart's coaching, right? Then he got them as a head coach at Georgia. They beat Mississippi State 31-3 to that year, okay? And then Dan goes to Florida, and I last year I said, hey, and I know Florida wasn't really off to a great start. They finished the season strong. I said, guys, Kirby Smart versus Dan Mullen, these are just one of those coaching matchups that you love where your coach is heading into the game plan of the week and the game on Saturday. I like Kirby Smart over Dan Mullen. It's kind of like the situation with Coach Spurrier and Coach Rick. 
right? No matter how bad or good Florida was heading into that game, they felt pretty damn good about what was going to happen on Saturday when it comes to game time. And I think that remains the same heading into next week, November the 2nd in Jacksonville. Because you know Dan Mullen's thinking about it, and you know Kirby Smart's thinking about it as well. I will take the confidence in game planning and the confidence to translate that game plan onto the playing field every single time. And I really do believe, and I'll continue to do more statistical research on this specific matchup between Kirby and Dan Mullen. I think the only time that Dan has gotten him was in the 2008 SEC Championship game. It was Kirby's first year as the defensive coordinator at Alabama, and it was Dan Mullen's last year as the offensive coordinator at Florida before he became the head coach at Mississippi State. That, of course, was Tim Tebow's year and the year Florida won the national championship. I like Kirby Smart over Dan Mullen. He's proven himself time and time again. Georgia's defense is playing at an extremely high level right now. I like Kirby Smart over a new quarterback in Kyle Trask, and I like Kirby Smart over Dan Mullen. Todd Grantham, Against this offense, that remains to be seen. Um, But I think hopefully with an extra week, Georgia will be able and ready for a great battle. It's going to be a great battle. Florida, nobody thought that they'd be ranked higher than Georgia heading into this game. They'll be number seven. Georgia will be number 10 as of right now. Expect maybe an upset this week. Well, look, Auburn or LSU, one of those teams is going to lose. So it looks like it will be a top 10 matchup for sure in jacksonville gonna be great we'll break the whole thing down no doubt about it guys i appreciate you sticking with me on this solo edition of punt and pass a couple of top 25 matchups to look forward to in week nine number 13 wisconsin heads to columbus to take on number three ohio state that game will be at noon on fox number nine auburn heading down to baton rouge to take on number two lsu that's your 330 cbs game and then number eight notre dame is heading up to ann arbor in the big house to take on number 19 michigan We'll pick those games. We'll tell you what's going on. Speaking of picks, last week I was two and three. I'm twenty nine and seventeen on the season against the spread. Aaron was three and two. He's twenty six and twenty against the spread when it comes to punt pass and pick. We will have a week nine preview show for you on Thursday. Aaron, I missed you, my man. Hopefully, the Tampa Bay Vipers appreciate your hard work in the off season. This is your off season. There you go, my man. Hey. For everybody, follow us on uh, social media at Punt and Pass. I am at Drew Butler 13. Aaron is at Aaron Murray 11, and we will talk to you on Thursday. See you.